Thanks for coming. This is the session that deals with partnering the practice with the church for explosive growth. Would you mind if we pray to start? Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that we can share in your work. Thank you that you have called us to be agents of change. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The talk this afternoon will have three primary aspects of the agenda. One, making an argument for uniting medicine and faith, medical and the church community, as well as wellness and evangelism. The second aspect, amen asked me to tell what I'm doing, so that we will be covering that. And thirdly, I would like to invite you to be a part of the process. And I must tell you that I have two financial disclosures. I have a financial interest in Renew Medical Center and Lifestyle Institute, as well as ePrevention Rx. We could divide this presentation in six different uh, aspects or parts. One, we want to describe to you the current state of affairs within the church, within uh, the healthcare industry. I would like to illustrate the cry of the human soul. Spend more time in depth outlining Christ's method. I want to show what I did then show the role that you can play to help the explosive growth within the church. And hopefully I will have time for questions. Let me start right at the beginning with the genius for this concept that I will be introducing to you. Jesus Christ outlined two very clear paths two opposing forces. In John 10 and verse 10, Christ made it very clear that the thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. That is one force. There is another force that he outlines. He said, I came so that they can have life, real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamt of. Everything we do, every job that we attempt, you will find these two opposing forces. But he has promised us power. Power that we can take on the earth. Acts 1 and verse 8, it states, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, locally, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He wants us to think globally. This, it is very important that you do not take a parochial approach to what we're doing. He's coming back to save planet Earth. And so 
That is important. But most important to, to, to get from this is that we have the power to make this happen. And then Christ signs, gives us a contract where he says in Exodus 34, verses 10 and 11, Behold, I make a covenant, a contract with you before all your people. I will do marvels. People are going to look at us and they're going to marvel at our achievement. That's a promise. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among you, among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. But there is a condition to this contract. There is something that you have to do to fulfill this contract. He wants you to do it his way. Observe what I command you this day. That's part of it. So throughout this talk today, we're going to be looking at his method so that we can claim this contract, we can hold on to this power Understanding that there are two forces and we are guaranteed success. So let's start by looking at the current affair, the current state of affair in the church. Over the last 20 years, every mainline Protestant church has shown decline. Top of the list is the Presbyterian Church with a, 40, a 24% reduction. For example, in 1995 alone, they lost 100,000 members in one year. The Episcopal is right behind them at 20%. The Methodist Church at 16%. And there's a small group of churches that are showing either staying the same or showing some growth, but that growth is less than 2, 2.5%. And if we looked at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Baptist Church, there's a reality check that is not very pleasant. 80% of our churches are either stagnant or dying. For example, 8,000 Baptist churches experience no baptism in the last two years. And looking at the Seventh-day Adventist church that has the distinction of being the fastest growing church, but it's only a growth rate of 2.5%. And if you take out migration, immigration, people coming in from Mexico, from the Caribbean, the growth rate is actually dismal. And those are not my words. It's from Ron, from the director of North American D Division uh, Evangelism. That's the state of the church. Let's now look at the state of the healthcare industry. At this point, we are now experiencing 
of her GDP goes towards health care. 17% in the United States of America. If you look at the rate of growth over the next 11 years or so, by 2022, if you look at the curve and the rate of growth, 46% of our spending growth will be due to healthcare. Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance subsidies will eat up 46% of that growth. It is a crisis that every administrator is worrying about and keeps people up at nights. This is not just a local US problem. Two years ago, the World Health Organization called an emergency meeting to discuss the non-communicable disease crisis that is hitting the third world countries. There's a global epidemic of obesity, diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular diseases that are hitting this country and they have no money. The malignancy curve, as we all know, is flat not only in the United States of America, but it is devastating with these lifestyle cancers in the third world country. I migrated myself from Jamaica, a very small island in the Caribbean. We have no money. Yet, Jamaica has the highest rate of prostate cancer in the entire world, most years. The bottom line for all of this is that we have an escalating cost that we just cannot fathom or deal with. But with this crisis within the church, this crisis within the healthcare uh, industry comes in opportunity. It's interesting that the Chinese symbol for crisis is danger and opportunity. And it is this opportunity that the church needs to jump on. The church needs to position itself, unite health and faith to address this crisis. If you look at people who are studying the processes of healthcare and how do we find solutions, there is one factor that is emerging. Harold Miller, one of the best analysis that I have seen, looked at this and decided that the best solution to this crisis is to have healthy consumers. And these healthy consumers must continue to be healthy if we're going to be able to solve this crisis. One of the biggest um, costs for us is hospitalizations. And if we have healthy consumers who continue to be healthy, we will have no hospitalization. So their health condition is going to determine the amount of hospitalization and the amount of uh, acute care episodes that we have. These people are healthy, there are no 
acute care episodes. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty so simple to look at. Now, if we do have events, if we operate very efficiently, then we can, have, we can lower the high cost of these events by having successful events treated efficiently, minimizing complications, infections, and readmissions. And this is done by having better outcomes, higher quality, but the basis of all of this is the healthy consumer who continues to be healthy, in other words, prevention and wellness. The basis of this. So we look back to the genius behind this, this master design, who gave us, as a church, June 21, 1863, prevention and wellness. All the significant developments over the last 150 years were first presented June 21, 1863. The cholesterol theory was first presented June 21, 1863. Not, it was not T. Colin Campbell who discovered plant-based diet. Food as grown. It was presented June 21, 1863. With this background of prevention and wellness, you must need, move on to look at the suffering that we are experiencing. Every physician, every healthcare um, worker experiences the cry of the human soul. The trap of pain and suffering, mental and physical, that we face every single day. A trap in which people cannot get out. It is well demonstrated by Alan Dushman in his book, Change or Die. Alan Dushman, in a fantastic book, outlined the, in a, a study where we looked at people coming in with high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, with their coronary artery disease so bad that we have to split their chest open, put a grip, pry their ribs apart, split the sternum, stop the heart, cut out piece of the, of the, the um, arteries, take a part of it from their legs, replace it, wire it back together. At the end of this invasive, devastating process, we tell them, stop eating garbage, start exercising, reduce your stress. In spite of this devastating experience, less than 10% make any change at all. Now, he looked at different people groups where there have been change, successful change. And he notes three paradigms. One, these individuals must come in contact with an agent of change. He calls it relate. 
And it must be done in a process that there is a reframing of their thinking. And it must be done long enough that it becomes a part of them. He calls it repeat. repeat. So relate, reframe, and repeat, and we'll come back to this. Alan Duchman came on a phenomenon that actually started 6,000 years ago. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were the first to show a glimpse of the underlying mechanism why it is important to unite the church and the medical community. Health and faith, medicine, evidence-based medicine, and spirituality. One day, Adam and Eve experienced this wonderful, loving, gorgeous relationship with God in paradise. There they were, eating the perfect diet, perfect love, relationship relating with this perfect God, sinless. Then, one day, Adam and Eve sinned. And the next day, they were experiencing this unexplained, irrational, bizarre behavior. They heard God's voice and the expression was in Genesis 3 and verse 9, I was afraid. Fear took over the mind for the first time in the history of the earth. And what we're noticing here is that's the first indication of a disconnection of the upper brain disconnected from the lower brain. The first time the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex, lost control of the amygdala. Negative thoughts, I was naked. I hid myself. The devastating thing about this irrational behavior, it is almost impossible to change. And there is only one answer to this. That answer is not in the medical community. It's in the faith-based community, in the churches. And let, let me explain this to you. You have in the lower brain, linking with the upper brain, what is called the limbic system. It houses the emotional center. And right in the middle of this is the amygdala. And this, in turn, is linked with an intricate, intricate, uh, intricate process to the immune system. And there's a body of cytokines, to explain it in a very simple fashion. And these cytokines, they can be good cytokines, which protect you, or they can be really bad cytokines that really destroy the body. This is what's happening at the molecular level. Your thinking actually creates 
enzymes, hormones, um, chemicals that actually protect you and heal you or destroy you right from your thinking. And this results from what we call an emotional cycle. And this fear, this event, this um, trauma, this emotional injury causes what we call an amygdala response. This amygdala response is called a learned fear. And actually, John, 1 John 4, verses 18 to 19, actually uses the word torment. That fear causes torment. So you have this emotional injury in, that causes a damage in the limbic system, which in turn affects the body. This becomes a learned response. This learned response is, has to be dealt with. And so your first cigarette, your first scoop of ice cream, your first taste of cocaine will quiet this torment, this agitation, this discomfort. And once you find that that happens, and in, for most of us, it's sugar. Once we quiet the amygdala with sugar once, we do it again. And every time that happens, we do it again. And before you know that, that emotional injury, which creates a learned fear response, becomes an unhealthy habit. That response, over time, causes disease. And over again, there's a trigger that kicks this in, and we get into a problem. And so somebody told you once before that you are no good. You are inferior. You're ugly. You're fat. Or you lost your mother, whatever the emotional injury was. And this happened at Christmas time for you. So every Christmas, there is a trigger. And you go back through the same cycle over and over again. For some people, it's every day, whatever it is, over and over again, they get this. So this sequence of fear, whether as a child or as an adult, describes what we call woundedness. And this fear has consequences. There are about five, over 500 fears described. And these fears can be placed in essentially three categories. Loss of control is one category. Being belittled is another category. Or loss of connectedness is another category. 
This fear causes a reaction, and the reaction to the fear, again, you have health or disease. And if you look at the work done by Douglas Lyle, a fascinated work, we see that it is a little bit more intricate than just the brain. It is more difficult to get out of this, what we can call the fear trap, than we first imagined. There are biological changes that will hold us. Um, Douglas Lyle took rats. And you can feed these rats, give them three separate portions of rat feed. You take calcium out of one, or magnesium, or potassium, and they will smell the feed, drinking pure water, and they'll be able to eat a balanced diet. If you put cocaine in the water, they lose the ability to eat a balanced diet and end up actually dying. What is happening is these rats actually start drinking more and more of the cocaine, more cocaine each time they drink to the point where they get to this emotional high. And they start drinking more and more of this cocaine just to remain at the same level. Eventually, they get to a point of no recovery, and they die. They have not been able to save any of these rats. Once they've gone through that process, they all die. Douglas Lyle describes the same process with human beings with what he called the dietary pleasure trap. If you eat whole foods, you get to a level of normal pleasure. Once you start eating the processed food, high fat, high animal fat, high salt, high sugar, you start eating more and more of it to the point where you start eating more just to stay normal the high that you get from this becomes, you start experiencing a law of diminishing return. You start eating more and more of this, and that starts to change into disease processes, and you get to the point at the bottom of the, the trough where you die. And only, just like the rats, only very few humans have been able to get back up to experience normal pleasure. They've been able to take some humans back to normal by extended fast, either water fast or restricting to just one food alone over weeks to get their brains changed in such a form 
to get back to normal, where they can experience normal pleasure. There is what is called the motivational triad. And this helps us to understand a little bit more of what the rats went through and what humans go through in this dietary pleasure trap. The lower brain can be divided in three sets of actions. All animals, no matter which species, is governed, are governed by the need to seek pleasure, to avoid pain, and to conserve energy. Why do you think geese fly south in the winter? Their lower brains are programmed to seek food. And they're programmed to fly south in search of food. So the human mind programmed to seek pleasure is focused more on food and sex to avoid pain and to conserve energy. You might wonder why is it exercise is so important yet we refuse to exercise and that is because of the programming of the lower brain to conserve energy. Avoiding pain, I, 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 I noticed this in my brother, Junior. We used, I used to visit him a lot. When I was studying in upstate New York, he lived in uh, New York City. And I, when I would go down to, to visit him, Junior would just ride, drive straight through red lights. And I would be petrified when I'm driving beside him. A few years later, he moved to Atlanta. And I went over one Thanksgiving, and we went out for a drive. And we, the yellow light came on, and Juno stopped. Not the red light. He stopped on the yellow light. So I said, Juno, you've changed. And he said, well, you know, you get three of these Atlanta tickets, and you're going to change. What he experienced is he wanted to avoid pain. So when the upper lobe is disconnected from the lower lobe, we are programmed to eat, to eat, to eat, to seek food, to avoid pain, and to sit. And it's only after the upper lobe is reconnected and governs the lower lobe that there can be changed. Now, is there a parallel of this in the Bible? If you look at the story of the Israelites moving from Egypt to Canaan, an amazing story results here. Why do you think God stopped rain for seven years to drive one family into Egypt. Because he wanted to show this model. He wanted, he wanted to demonstrate his experience for us to see as we prepare for his second coming. Here you have 
2.5 million people leaving Egypt, moving towards the, the, the promised land. This process should last only 40 days. Alan Dushman, um, Douglas Lyle, in his book, Pleasure Trap, it took the rats anyway, uh, take human beings anywhere from 30 to 90 days to get them back. We found that 40 days seemed to be the number. As Egypt, as the Israelites moved from Egypt to Canaan, fear, the amygdala response, was operative. They refused to trust God. Doesn't matter what God did. He brought water. He divided the Red Sea. They refused to trust him. And so, in a way of reaching them, the first thing he did was to restrict their diet. He gave them manna. The same thing every day, every morning. And that was a way of reclaiming the brain. So dietary restriction was an integral part of that 40-day process. Unfortunately, those 40 days became 40 years. And instead of phenomenal growth to involve the entire world, a whole nation died in fear and consumed and were consumed in vanity. They amounted to nothing because they couldn't get over that fear response. Is there a similar process going on for us? Yes. June 21, 1863, we were given our marching orders. Plant-based food as grown without processing. Eat sparingly and get plenty of exercise. Two meals instead of three. Trusting and responding to, to the love of a caring God. June 21, 1863. Fasting one to two days a week is of incalculable benefits. Walking one hour a day in the fresh air in the morning or gardening, small flowers, small gardening, will prevent a hundred degree diseases. We were given all of this a hundred and fifty years ago to guide us to the promised land, to help us with that fear response. And so, in order for us to hit that road to success, neuroplasticity has to occur. The brain has to change. And we must take our people that we work with through this change. And this is where, this is how medicine unites with the church. This is how the medical community must unite with the faith community. This is where members of the church become agents of change to the people who fall within their sphere of influence. 
Alan Dutchman calls it relate. People must come in contact with church members. Loving, caring, forgiving, compassionate church members. People of the faith community. We must help these people reframe their thinking. It is here that we show them that these promises that a loving, caring God can help them to change their brains, reframe their thinking, refocus their minds from this negative barrage of thoughts that I'm no good, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm naked. We, this must be replaced constantly with the thought that I have loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, I have drawn you. These promises that I will rebuild you and you shall be rebuilt need to be rehearsed day after day. They have to revalue this thought process. These negative thoughts must be changed. And so Jeffrey Schwartz in his book, Change Your Brain, you are, sorry, Jeffrey Schwartz, You Are Not Your Brain, outlined this very beautifully, and it's a book worth reading. We go through this process long enough that not only do we develop healthy habits, but we rewrite the way the DNA works. We actually change genetic expression. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12 and verse 2. It is because of this process why the church and medicine need to get together. And Jesus Christ in John 7 and verse 38 explains it very carefully. At the woman at the well, a beautiful girl with a fantastic body, with a very engaging mind, was tormented. Married a number of times. Way back then, she was married five times. Even now, being married five times spells trouble. Yet, in her torment, Christ reached out to her. He said to her, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. Out of his mind will flow rivers of living waters. Uniting the mind with the mind of Christ. Being healed by this loving, caring God is the only answer to the health crisis, to calm the amygdala, and to calm the torment. So, this is why we need to bring the pastors and the physicians together, the health workers and the gospel workers together. This is why Christ designed it that way, because of this biological fact. So let's look at Christ's method. It is stated that he went about in Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36. 
He went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He went about. Jesus moved among the people. He did not send out flyers and expect the people to come to them. He himself was an agent of change going out, reaching to the people in his sphere of influence. He was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. We must have compassion for these people around us. He went about purposely, Matthew 4 and verse 23. Matthew 9 and 35, again, he was moved with compassion. Matthew 9 and verse 20, he satisfied their greatest needs. The woman who touched the hem of his garment, who had the issue of blood, she had vaginal bleed for over 12 years. She's been to every physician. There was no ferrosulfate. So she couldn't take iron pills. So you have that much bleed, hemorrhage, over 12 years, and her, her hemoglobin, which should normally be about 16, is now down to 2 or 4. Her feet were swollen with, with, with edema. She had, her heart were, was racing with tachycardia. It was enlarged with cardiomyopathy. She would take three steps and she would be out of breath. And just by touching the hem of Christ's garment, her hemoglobin went from 4 to 16. The cardiomyopathy, that hard, enlarged heart, became soft and functioning well again. That was this woman's greatest need was this problem that she was having, and he satisfied their greatest needs. He taught, he preached, and he healed, and he healed, and he healed, and he healed. As you thumb through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you go to the Gospels, you see the theme. He's healing. He's healing. He's healing. Over and over again, he's healing. And what was the result? Explosive PR. He had free advertisement. They spread the news about him in all the country. Matthew 9 and verse 31. He would heal somebody and he would beg them, please, don't tell anybody about it. What happened? They would go and spread his name all over. Christ is trying to prove to us that even if you don't want the advertisement, you're going to get it. This is the way for explosive church growth. Matthew 15 and verse 30, multitudes came to him. The lame, the blind. Multitude marveled. And it says, they glorified the God of 
Israel, that special people who was to spread this good news throughout the whole, the whole earth, they glorified the God of this Israel. Remember, friends, this whole controversy between Satan and God is about worship. Worship me or worship him. And by healing, 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 by teaching, preaching, and healing, and he spent a lot more time healing, emphasis on health, they worshiped the true God. The unit of this explosive growth was baptisms. In Acts 2 and verse 40, it says, Those who gladly received this word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Acts 2, verse 40 and verse 42. Population exclusion. Phil, Dr. Phil Blake gave an intriguing little insight in all of this. I was giving a seminar in the Houston area. And after making this point, Dr. Blake said, actually, I googled um, Earth, and the estimate of the population of the Earth, if we were to extrapolate that now, we would have about 200 million people, and there would be 110,000 people being baptized in one day. One event if that were to happen now. So I want to change with that background, that understanding of the, the, the physiology, of why, is it, why it is so important to blend the gospel and medicine, health and evangelism. I want to show you what we did. First of all, we formed a group called New Steps. And I just tell you, Amen had asked me to say what I did, but I couldn't have done it alone. God sent many, many people to work with me. And I'm tempted to make a list of the names of some of the people, but I'm going to leave somebody's name out and I'm going to get in trouble. So I figure it is better not to list names. But God sent some wonderful folks to partner with me to help me, especially in my area of deficits. And so we formed this group called New Steps. Nutrition, exercise, water, sleep, timeout, exercise, sorry, equilibrium, partnering with a, with a physician and a stress-resistant personality. The first thing we did was to set up what is called a, a, a weekend retreat. So we call it a two to three day transformational repeat, retreat where we bring these people together we take them away from their refrigerator. We start on a Friday night because we want to give them a model breakfast. Oat groats, whole grain in its original form. That weekend, we gave them absolutely nothing processed. Nothing with a face or nothing that came from a mother. Plant-based, 
fully unprocessed. And we have to start them for a Friday night because most of these folks will go home and eat 3,000 calories at 8 o'clock. So we take them for Friday night and we tell them, we show them the physiology of what supper does for, to your liver. And, we, and then after that, they go home, they go straight to bed, come back early the next morning, and we give them a huge breakfast. Many were surprised to see how much they could eat because they skipped supper. Then we give them a big lunch. And then they are now surprised to find out that they don't need supper. We take them the whole weekend like that, and then we organize them into small groups, and they would meet weekly through this entire process. We would tell them, for 40 days, we want you to have zero stress in your body. Just think that there is a warm, loving, fuzzy God that is caring for you for 40 days, Nothing bad is going to happen to you. He loves you and wants you to think about that. And we give them a list of promises to memorize. And they're going to do this for 40 days. They're going to exercise for 40 days. And then we try to encourage positive, inspiring people to interact with them. It is here at this level that the church can play a huge role. The church must have people who are loving warm, compassionate, interacting with these people. That love is where people can see an example of a loving God. This is where the church engages with the pastor. And so we encourage, we encourage when we have these seminars in my practice, we encourage churches to join with us. And we partner with, with, with pastors. And I want to let you know that I began this process putting myself through it. So in 1999, I weighed over 200 pounds. It's actually 210. I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say that. I had central obesity. I had sleep apnea. I had gastroesophageal reflux. I was unfit, and I was on my way to an early grave. Put myself through the process. 40 days, totally unprocessed. Um, food, um, nothing um, from the animal kingdom. It's shortly, it's unbelievable, but I started feeling great. I weighed myself this morning, I was 170 pounds. The last time I checked my blood pressure without medication, I was 98 over 60. My total cholesterol, not my LDL, my total cholesterol is 129. I'm fit and I take no medication. I don't know what aspirin or Tylenol tastes like. I don't get headaches. I don't get sick. I put myself through the process, and I think that's a very first step for anyone who wants to do this. We, formed a, we, we got a logo which showed the decline of the individual, the interaction with the medical community, and the steps that they take to get back up to normal. Took us a while to get this logo. This shows exactly um, what we are about. We formed a 501c nonprofit organization, formed a warm, supportive board, and we continued with the process of new steps. 
I may just quickly tell you, the new, new, any nutrition is plant-based, minimal process, absolutely no sugar. Exercise is exercise in 60 minutes, five to seven days a week. We encourage these folks in W for water to drink eight to 10 glasses a day. And we ask them when you wake up to drink two glasses immediately, sometimes with a lemon or lime. We ask them to get to bed before 10 p.m. and to sleep seven to, to 10 hours. Time out, tea, we ask them to take hourly, daily, and weekly breaks. E is for equilibrium, where they find regularity and balance. They get to bed the same time every day for 40 days, where they're in sync with their diurnal cycle. Make sure they're exposed to fresh air and sunshine. And P, we ask them to get in touch with your physician. Work with your physician. Let them know what's happening to partner with a physician. So the P is partnering with a physician for early detection and prevention. And S is a stress-resistant personality. And we stress trusting, giving, and receiving love, especially from a caring God. During this process, we take them through a 40-day transformational change, holding on to this every day. As we mentioned, a model breakfast, a model lunch, and we ask them to minimize supper as much as possible. We form these people into small groups. We insist on a life-body system where every person has to be um, linked with a body, a prayer partner, however you want to call it. They must interact every day. And we encourage the use of uh, technology. You, there is free conference call. I meet on free conference call 5.30 every morning in my small group. You can meet daily, weekly. Um, there is group me. There is Facebook. Whatever you can use to get together. And then we have a huge graduation. Unbelievable the passion at this graduation. You hear testimony of stories of, of um, tons of weight being lost getting off medication, coronary artery disease being um, reversed with this, this graduation process. We gave them a very attractive certificate that they take with them. And th the key to this is you have to maintain long-term relationships. It is very important that they just don't come to these small groups and then disappear. Long-term Caring, nurturing relationships, very important. So beyond the 40 days, they take the small groups back to companies, back to their schools, back to their churches. They form cluster of homes in these small groups. So the small groups is where the church can play a huge role. Now, I want to m mention that the church where I am right now, they organize their entire church in small groups. And just as my small group is finishing, there is a starting. And they invite these folks. There is a, a manual that's, that is printed. And people can choose. There's enrollment. And people are offered these small groups. So there is a continuing 
nurturing long-term relationships with these people. And that aspect of it is very, very important. And then we went ahead and did some innovation where we, um, or we, we, we came up with ePrevention Rx, which is a development software for um, primary care physicians. We expect to have a 30% reduction in reimbursement for physician. This software helps physicians to reclaim this money where they can actually earn money using prevention. And here's an opportunity to unite with the church. We went ahead and bought 30 acres in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we're going to set up a lifestyle center where people where we can engage people who can't make it without getting them away for a weekend, for a week, for some, some times. And what happened with this? Many lives, lives were transformed. My practice exploded. People started hearing of people coming off hospice, coronary artery being re reversed, diabetes re being reversed, one of my most dramatic cases, this patient with an HbA1c of 13.3, his hemoglobin eight weeks late, later, he, he, not with my instruction, he stopped all his medicines. The HbA1c is now 6.2. The diabetes completely reversed. Hypertension reversed. And overall, you have this massive reduction in healthcare costs. And it is through the small groups that we must emphasize that continues this long-term relationship with the churches. And there, here lies the potential for explosive um, evangelism. And so my invitation to you. One, I would like for you to start with yourself as an example of wellness. Presenting yourself as an agent of change. We encourage you to have an upper room experience. Without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you are worthless. You are powerless. It is Christ who does the healing. He gives the power. He transforms the brain. And you cannot reverse these processes without quieting the amygdala and only a loving, caring relationship with Christ using his methods. It is only through this process that you can get ex 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 this explosive success. Become an agent of change. Pray that you can partner with a church or a pastor, form a partnership, change the church into a center for health and healing, and that will take power from above. Organize the church, the school, the company into small groups. And finally, I want to encourage you to master the principle of oneness, of unity. It is a prerequisite for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is where Kellogg 
went wrong. Instead of listening to the people around him, listening to the counsel, inspired counsel that he had at his bedside, working as one body, in the multitude of counsel there is wisdom. It is very important that you recognize that as healthcare providers, we are trained to have the control. You will have to learn to let go this control. You will have to learn to recognize that ideas are going to come, not through you, but through other folks who are part of your team. And together, God will guide you. So I invite you, friends, to take this step. And, I, and as we close, I'm inviting you, as you leave here, just to ask Christ to use you as an agent of change. Why don't we pray as we close? Father in heaven, thank you for this exercise. Thank you for this message that you brought. Thank you for this explosive results that you can give. And thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that will work through us. Help us to have an upper room experience where we can find oneness and unity and the power to go forward in your name, using your method. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.